Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth, and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. What is up, everybody? I'm so excited to be with you today, specifically because I am sharing a conversation with you with my girlfriend, the person I love and do life with, Jamie Swear. Jamie is a yoga therapist, and our conversation today, we talk about everything from what yoga therapy is to what, in air quotes, the work means. We talk about Enneagram, how you really can't know your Enneagram without doing the work. And without community, sacred circle, we talk about the importance of mentorship and teachers and Jamie names a number of her teachers and how they've impacted her life. We talk about lifestyle design, developmental movement, why Jamie often refers to her yoga teacher training is not trauma informed, even though it is extremely trauma informed and really It is just such a fun conversation being with her and getting to share her with you. So before we dive into the conversation and I do an official bio for Jamie, I want to just remind you that this upcoming Sunday is a chance to gather with me live for my Awakening to Freedom live training. It's a free 90-minute training where I'm going to be sharing the tools, coaching, and the support I give my private clients that supports you to remove the years of programming that Jamie and I even talk about today that keeps us hustling for wholeness where we're trying and trying and trying and never actually living into freedom. So this training is going to be teaching you the three common mistakes I see people make when doing the air quote work uh, that are rooted in old programming, the five pillars of freedoms that you can live your liberation now and remember your power in every moment. And that single piece of the work that changed my life forever. And Jamie and I do talk about that a little bit in today's conversation as well. So following the live training on Sunday at 7 p.m. this upcoming Sunday, March 7th, if you're listening to this in real time, there's also three integration days, the 8th, 9th, and 10th. There are three integration days that follow the live workshop where you will get one daily practical action-oriented prompt 
that will support you to root in new stories and live from your wholeness. And each day is actually centered on a different center of the body. So there's a, a day oriented to the mind and the mindset. There's a day oriented to the heart and the emotions and the values. And there's a day oriented to the gut, the action, the really practical tool to live into. So the live training is where you will get all of the goods and all of the the lessons, and then the three integration days are living into it. So I'm super excited. This is how I'm kicking off opening the next cohort of Awaken Her Soul. And so that opens up Sunday. Yeah, Sunday as well. Um, I'm really excited for it. So please come live. I would love to see you there. There's a couple thousand people signed up right now. So it'll be uh, it'll be a big event, but it'll feel really intimate because of the formatting we're using. So I look forward to seeing you there. You can go to awakenhersoul.com backslash freedom dash training, or you can just click, click the link in the show notes to keep it easy. So I want to read to you now Jamie's bio. Now that hopefully you are coming to the live freedom training and getting all of this free coaching, I'm about to give you the most beautiful conversation with the person who has the biggest impact in my life personally, and that's Jamie Swear. Jamie is a yoga therapist, and she uses power, wisdom, and wholeness inside of the yoga tradition, along with drawing upon her knowledge of human development and movement science. She applies Ayurveda and functional movement screen techniques in her assessments to make a practice prescription that is specific to each person she works with. There is no substitution for hard work but there is so much power and precise action. And that's what makes her personal assessments so useful as a practitioner to make the most use of your time and effort doing movement with her. She will look at your habitual patterns and how they're manifesting in your body and how implementing a daily practice like yoga therapy can begin to help you experience life in a new way. And I can definitely say implementing Jamie's suggestions into my life has made a huge difference in the way that I feel embodied and grounded and able to manage stress really, especially moving in together right at the beginning of the pandemic. It's going on a year now. It'll be a year next week that we live together and doing the pandemic in an environment where the person I'm living with is so knowledgeable about the body and about stress and about movement science it has really been transformative for me. So I'm so excited to share Jamie with you. She's just, she's great. You're going to hear me gawking about like at her the whole time probably. So enjoy this episode and just send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what your favorite part was. Share it on Instagram and definitely tag Jamie. I know she would love to get the feedback on what you loved from this, what your questions are. Let's dive into the conversation. Hello, everyone. I am joining you from my office on the floor with a cute little setup with my girlfriend, Jamie Swear. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on Everything Belongs. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So people have really requested for Jamie to be a guest on the podcast for quite some time, and not just because she's my girlfriend, because that's also fun and a really amazing story that I'm sure will weave in and out of today's conversation, but also because Jamie is a yoga therapist and a lifestyle designer and a movement coach, and really just infuses my life with so much wisdom and depth, and so it felt only right to share her work with all of you. So Jamie, can you 
just let us know. Well, I guess I'll start by saying when I first met you, I called, what did I say? Yoga instructor. Called you yoga instructor. That was wrong and offensive. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with yoga instructor, but it's not what you are. I wouldn't say it was offensive. It was just worth clarifying. Worth clarifying. Okay. So could you clarify for us now? Yes. So uh, a yoga instructor leads classes, group uh, group classes, you know, similar to group fitness in a way. Mm-hmm. And there's a wide variety of trainings to do something like this. Um, and I have done them, several. And to be a yoga therapist is significantly more training to really become informed about the body, to become informed about the nervous system, to become informed about trauma, to apply all of the tools and techniques of yoga to the individual or an individual disease state or in a group of individuals under a similar circumstance. Mm-hmm. So I want to know a little bit of backstory. I didn't prepare you for that. Um, I feel like maybe you didn't prepare me for anything. <laughs> I don't think I did. Well, you know what you do. You know, you yeah, know what you do yeah. and you know the kind of questions I ask. So um, for anyone who hears our dogs in the background, neither of us are available to calm either of them down. <laughs> so you might hear a little bit more puppies in the back than usual on this episode. But Jamie, I want to know how you found yoga how you found yoga therapy as like that nuanced difference and just your journey finding this and why it's so meaningful to you. Well, I, I found yoga in maybe a similar way at the beginning that many people do YouTube. (laughs) I knew about it, but I was uh, playing professional basketball in Luxembourg and I had quite a bit of free time during the day. And I was really coming towards the end of my career as an athlete. And so there was much more uh, importance on maintaining my body, uh, on my mind and longevity. And so that's when I started doing yoga and I did my first training as a strength coach to apply yoga to my athletes in the off season. And from there, it really just kept on going. At that point, I couldn't have told you that you know, being a yoga therapist was a thing. It actually is, you know, uh, as a certifying board, a little bit uh, more recent. And I couldn't have told you that I would have been a full-time yoga teacher or yoga therapist at that point. It it definitely wasn't a trajectory that I knew was a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But as I started practicing and as I started uh, applying uh, what I was learning, the wisdom that I was learning with my athletes and with my clients, it became obvious that there was something worth investigating deeply. So after uh, leaving coaching, finishing up my graduate uh, degree, my master's in business, I was sort of trying to figure out how I was going to uh, move forward. I knew I didn't want to do so in the context that I was in, which was um, Division I uh, college athletics, which is a very certain kind of environment, very intense (laughs) environment. And really, I, uh, at that time, I didn't know, but I needed some space from that environment to heal. Um, And so I traveled about and I studied with all sorts of yoga teachers and stayed at different yoga ashrams. Um, 
And then I ended up in Dallas and I met um, my teacher, Blair Lewis there. And he was um, an Ayurvedic practitioner and a physician's assistant and was teaching about yoga. And I really stayed with him uh, and worked for him for quite some time. And that's when I really um, kind of made yoga my life. And from there, I ended up moving to a place called the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania, which was uh, an uh, affiliated with uh, my teacher at the time. And I ended up staying there for three years and studying and practicing and working uh, both in uh, for the retreat center and with Yoga International, which is now a very well-known digital platform for yoga. So I was sort of infused with wisdom there. Uh, it was like living with all of your teachers. And when I say all, <laughs> I mean people that have been practicing for their whole life and who have been living at an ashram for their whole life practicing. And so there was really an, you know, a priceless amount of guidance and support in that environment. And that's really where uh, much healing took place for me and where I did more training. Still at that time, not really convinced that I would be a yoga teacher. I was working in both marketing and production for the organization um, and learning a lot, but I wasn't actively teaching. And it wasn't until I left there, I guess, seven years now. Wow. Hmm. Seven years ago. Um, and moved back to Springfield, uh, because of a family emergency, uh, that I really started teaching. And from there, it just sort of kept going. And I became a yoga therapist three years ago and have been either, uh, doing that privately or I'm owned a studio that recently closed. And then now I've converted all of that into my online business mm. that I operate right here from home with you. Yes. <laughs> well, those of you who are listening can't see this, but the sun is setting in the most beautiful way. The whole room and sky is lit up bright orange, which just feels really fun. And yeah, it matches my glasses. It does match your glasses. <laughs> and I love hearing that because obviously I live with you, but I find that journey so interesting. And the fact that you chose to live at an ashram for three years in a tiny little dorm room. Right. Uh, <laughs> About the size of this room we're in. Yeah. yeah with the sink. It, um, it is a place that you go to, to really practice and see what practice is all about. And, you know, you have an idea of what that's like in your mind when you go a very, Ideal, idyllic environment, mm -hmm. but really it's a place that you go to face yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is a difficult thing to do. And so I spent many hours in my twin bed in my dorm room, staring at the ceiling and uh, really uh, contemplating what this practice means to me and, and in my daily life, applying it because that's really what the whole environment is about. And that's really where the most learning comes from uh, doing in this practice. I think what strikes me the most and what whenever I met you, which is also really interesting, I had taken one of Jamie's yoga classes years ago, maybe five years ago now, six years ago. And I remember um, Emma Chapman, who owns A Beautiful Mess, I was there with her. 
And it was in a park. Um, Jamie, who I didn't know at the time, led this yoga class. And I turned to Emma and I was like, that was the most interesting yoga class, like nothing I've ever done before. And I left and didn't think of it again. Obviously met Jamie again at a yoga retreat that she was hosting. And after Jamie and I got to know each other, we found out that apparently she took a, a panoramic picture of that first yoga class and the creepy Google phone scanned my face in the split second and categorized that moment in the images of me in Jamie's phone. So funny enough, I actually forgot that it was Jamie specifically who led that yoga class, but I had taken one of her classes years ago and it was truly impactful. And I, after getting to know you, feel that your devotion to the lineage and the teachers and the amount of time that you've actually spent living this work, it there is a like a an energetic, tangible difference. Mm -hmm. And I think that people can feel that when they practice with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That that may have been why you heard a tinge of offense in my voice when you <laughs> called me a yoga instructor. <laughs> I've apologized. <laughs> and I will say, Jamie's had some things with coaches as well. So the fact I that I was a coach, <laughs> she could never take it back. I was afraid to even tell her what I did because I knew there's a kind of person who judges the coaches. And there's also a kind of coaches that I judge. Mm -hmm. So I just, I didn't want to be that to Jamie because I knew that she was really invested in the deep spiritual work of yoga. So I want to talk about the work. Mm. because I think that is something that, well, it's really popular right now, the work. It is. Yeah. And I want to know what the work means to you. Mm. The work, um, you know, comes uh, through Gurdjieff. That, that's the work that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's well, no popular. one knows that. That's popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist, in you know, these – these really big accounts are talking about do the work, do the work. Uh -huh. And I feel like a lot of people don't know where the work comes from yeah. or what the work is. Yeah. And so this could you, general term. could you riff based sure. on your teaching and your lineage on the work? Well, the work similarly to yoga, and this is something I contemplate on a lot, uh, has two aspects, self-remembering and self-observation. Mm -hmm. And, Self-remembering is uh, a, a tension in the body, uh, below the neck, and feeling yourself, you know, coming into physical sensation and remembering that you have a self because it's so easy to be other-oriented. Mm -hmm. And that's really all of our training is to be other-oriented in a lot of ways. And then uh, you observe yourself. And there's four laws to observing yourself. And it's, uh, you know, one of them is to have ruthless self-honesty about what you observe without judgment. That's the first one, without judgment, um, without interference. So without changing what you observe. And with attention, you know, below the neck in the body, in felt sensation, with a relaxed body if possible. Mm -hmm. And then to report possibly and ideally to a group of people uh, that are also doing the work, what you've observed, honestly, even though it makes you look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and even though you're not sure if you can be totally honest, um, 
you start to try, mm-hmm. you start to try to be honest about what you're actually doing. And so that's why I'm shocked. It's popular mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's a, a lifelong process, a never ending uh, process. You never finish the work. Um, you just pray to be able to work, to actually work. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, because a lot of people don't know the lineage and the work is just like, just show up and take responsibility. Yeah, maybe even do more work. And like do more action work. That, and I find that in Awaken Her Soul actually about week four, that there's this, uh, I don't want to say panic to scare anyone who's joining us this intake. <laughs> panic might not be the right word. Um, but there is a, a glitch in the programming around, but, but what am I supposed to do to fix myself? And that's the exact programming that it's like just observe and soften your body and observe and soften your body. And like you said, report what you notice. I'm... I'm curious how I'm going to just ask a personal question. Yeah. How you feel your practice with the work has impacted our relationship. Oh, you know, just let's just get juicy, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that my, my observation that you were interested in this type of, of work, um, probably, is a lot of what sparked the interest in a lot of our initial conversations, you know, had, you know, had it had an impact, I think, on my heart in the way that there's someone that I can share this with. There's someone that also is willing (laughs) (laughs) to be ruthlessly honest (laughs) (laughs) and stay, you know, after I am. Um, And so I think having the language you know, just like it, it is helpful for with any relationship to have the language that this is um, something I prioritize in my life. This is something that is not glamorous. <laughs> it's not sort of maybe how it starts out, how you start out imagining it. It's not that way. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely humbling process. And so I think it impacted our relationship in that our relationship exists because of both of our willingness to, to do the work of remembering ourselves and observing ourselves. So what I'm taking from that is you don't think that our relationship is glamorous. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure in some ways it appears that way. Hmm. Um, but I, we, we work, mm-hmm. we work to have this relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And so Many times, no, no, it doesn't feel glamorous. <laughs> doesn't feel glamorous at all. It feels but um, Instagram humbling. looks so good. That's branding, yeah, right, and art, yeah, and, and art and creativity and sharing what's beautiful and it's just a different thing. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of circle back because the work is actually something I wrote down that I wanted to talk about, but I missed something because I got excited. Um, a lot of your work, uh, well, somatics is really popular. Trauma informed is really popular. You're someone who in all of your circles and in your yoga teacher training, which is extremely trauma informed. I, I, I already know what you're going to say. And I, Uh I, it was a very passionate and ornery moment. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Should I tell the people what it was? Sure. Yes. Yeah. 
So Jamie leads yoga teacher trainings and circles and guides people in practice and has been known to say on multiple occasions, I'm not trauma-informed. I don't teach trauma-informed trainings. No, I said this is not a trauma-informed training. Right. You are Um, trauma-informed. Yeah, I'm extremely (laughs) trauma-informed. This is why it's so – it tickles me when you say it. Well, all of my therapeutic classes are – um, I am applying all of that wisdom. What I was saying in that moment to those people was that I, as I'm, as you're moving into training to become a teacher, it's no longer an avoidance of triggering people. It's being ruthlessly honest with someone. And so someone that is in a teacher training with me is going to become trauma informed, Mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily being careful with their feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, uh, and, and not, I'm also not being careless with their feelings. I'm, I'm trying to be direct and to be honest and to, to say what I think will serve them most. And so that's why I say that. And I feel as though there's become this idea that being trauma informed means that you should not feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that if you start to feel uncomfortable, that that means someone is not acting in a way that's trauma informed because I have trauma and I'm not feeling well now. And you know, this isn't trauma informed. (laughs) I I think that we, um, you know, we're, we're tiptoeing around a lot of things, um, that don't actually support folks in their healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they definitely don't support folks to become uh, stabilized enough and regulated enough to facilitate healing for another person. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you. And I just find it so hilarious because you are, I think the most trauma informed person I know (laughs) on a somatic level and are like really living in such a trauma informed way. And I also find directness to be an act of care. Like I find I want people to be explicit and direct with me or else I can sometimes perceive lack of safety whenever I have to guess, which is probably from my own trauma. Probably. Um, probably so. Um, but I prefer that. And so I, I appreciate yeah. the directness. I think, I think that once most people experience it, they prefer it. Mm-hmm. They don't realize how often they haven't been spoken to in it, directly and honestly. Mm. So all of that to say with, with my clients and as a therapist, of course, I am trauma informed, but I also, you know, at the 200 hour level or the initial beginning level of, uh, becoming trauma informed, I don't think that someone should be out marketing themselves at trauma as trauma informed because they learned about the nervous system. Hmm. There's, there's much more to it. There's much more about holding space. And that is much, much more something that's embodied and really needs to undergo peer review in some way, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it is interesting uh, gaining, and I see this a lot in coaching, and I actually see this a lot with therapists as well, because I've been in spaces with a therapist who is trauma-informed intellectually, but is operating not from that way with me and their body and not being grounded. This happened to me a number of times as a client, Yeah, where I was like, um, I'm 
I'm in a moment where I can choose to caretake my therapist or I can get a different therapist mm-hmm. um, or I guess at a boundary, different therapist was my option, my, what I chose. Um, but what I see is taking a course, lots of learning, learning, learning from the mind, slapping, mm-hmm. I'm now trauma informed onto something with no ability to embody a, a range of capacity in a moment where yeah. someone else's stuff might come up. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, It's one of the reasons, you know, I I was a little little nervous for this interview, even though it's you and I, uh, is that you ask provocative questions. I just, I I think being trauma-informed is great. I think that we're becoming trauma-informed is great, but I I don't think that it's whole Mm. when it comes to facilitating healing for someone. Mm-hmm. Because that really requires relationship. And many times all of the information and talking about someone as if they're a nervous system instead of a person mm-hmm. kind of creates a little too much space, too, a little a gap, I guess we'll say not space, but a gap between the human being, the person that you're relating to and, you know, the therapist who is you know, very informed, but maybe disembodied um, mm-hmm. and not actually present with what's happening. Something I love about your work and the way I experienced it, because I took a lot of your classes before we ever developed a friendship and got together, um, developed more than a friendship also, um, <laughs> was that I, well, I had spent years and years and years healing in, in trauma therapy, I had done EMDR, I had done energetic healing, I'd been in coaching, and I had gotten pretty far with my journey. Like I felt so much more free than I had been. And I have a lot of developmental trauma. So I have really young people listening probably know this. And so when I met you, I was really starting to understand the need for embodiment and somatic-based practices. And what I found so supportive was that I was repatterning developmental traumas without having to dig them up and talk about them over and over again, which would, was a pattern of mine mm-hmm. previously. And so I, I knew because of what I do with my clients, I knew how to reprogram the story. And, you know, there was so, so far I got with that, but with those like deeply held embodied patterns, I'm curious if you could talk through the beauty of developmental movement without being like, let's, let's talk about the trauma that happened at this specific age, mm-hmm. because you can repattern these without actually going into all of the things that have happened to you or mm-hmm. even knowing what some of them were. Yeah. That's my favorite part about what I do <laughs> is that as soon as someone moves into story, we're coming back to the body. We're coming back to the senses. We're coming back to how you're moving in your body, how you're holding your body and all of the information that is there. And then you have an action to take when you're in story or lost in the mind. And so rather than using this mind to heal the mind, you're building a trust with the body and you're building knowledge about your own body and a relationship with your own body. And so it's, um, it's reparenting through action and through the choices that you make every day and the story exists and the, 
and uh, you know there is important work in coming to own your story and own the things that have happened to you. It's not to say that there's not value in talk therapy and uh, bringing those things forward, but there's uh, you know there's many people who've spent decades in therapy still talking about that story and. I have a quote from my teacher, Pundit Rajmani Tiganaya in mind, where he says, you take all these things and you put them into a blender and then you blend it and 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 blend it. He didn't do that. That's me. You blend it. When are you going to drink it? When are you going to like take the healing medicine and go and go forward instead of, you know, more deeply identifying with the past? Mm-hmm. I can't wait to meet him one day. He's so fiery. He's so <laughs> I think that I like him a lot. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So there were so many things I wanted to branch out on. Let me just sit with that for a second. I'm curious how, well, I guess the question is how do you define embodiment? I love the you know movement towards embodiment. Um, and I've, I think in you know in the yoga system there's posture practice and you become embodied through this through understanding uh, about posture and learning to physically stabilize your body and to develop you know through these movements um strength and stability mobility and stability a balance of that and it's a it's a piece of it, and it's a very important piece to have in place before you move forward from there into having a felt sense of your pranic body or your energetic body and having a deep connection to your intuition and you know all those other things that uh, blossom forward from that that to come into presence and to be able to hold your attention on your own physical sensation despite what the, you know, environment is doing, you know, that's a way that, you know, the work definitely moves into in all these different traditions weave together in such this beautiful way that we have so much access now to, um, that it's an important and very necessary step. And because of technology and because of our lifestyles, it's an it's an important thing to talk about now because anxiety and depression and uh, what other you know uh, you know epidemics we're facing now heart disease all these things um, have to start with a relationship with the body the healing has to start with the body I'm sorry you're in a body <laughs> <laughs> and so we have that has to be integrated and and eventually you know transcended you know that but that's not um that's not where where the starting point happens when healing is is what we're talking about Hmm. that we can't come the up and out is of no value if there's no in and down into the body with awareness something that i really appreciate about i mean i've brought it up before in this conversation is that 
you speak to who your mentors are and you have an ongoing relationship with them in a variety of ways. And I'm wondering in this process of healing, what you view as the importance of mentorship, because Mm -hmm. it seems you really value it. And I'm just curious how it's, how it's impacted you as a student and I guess how you view mentorship because you actually had a guru and some people talk about guru culture, but you've actually had like a real guru. Yeah, I did the guru thing. Um, even while I was doing it, you know, I wasn't, you know, fully admitting I wasn't doing it, but <laughs> in my heart, I definitely was. Um, yeah. I think that uh, it's about trustful surrender. And until um, you're able to hear and trust a, a person and receive advice and see what happens and then check back in and, you know, have a real relationship with a real person, then it all exists, you know, in your head and in theory from books you've read Mm. um, that a teacher brings the teachings into reality and then is helping you have a feedback loop as to how that's going. And when we're talking about uh, this kind of, this kind of work, what's going to happen is that you're going to get right up close to the very thing that, you know, you've been avoiding. That's the actual, probably root of, of whatever you're having to heal from. You're going to be out of there so fast. (laughs) If you know, you're not physically going anywhere, but you're going to either, you're going to move into your coping pattern into hyperactivity or into shutdown. And so the teacher is there to say, hi, hi, I see, I see that you've, I see that you've left, come back, be here with us now. And that's, you know, part of the teachings of the circle and sitting in circle um, and being present and speaking to your experience. It's, it's that on a really intimate level with, um, you know, with your teacher. And I think that we've, you know, we live in a culture of and in a time of I am my own guru and I am down with that in a certain way. But you're missing out on something mm-hmm. if you don't uh if you don't take a teacher, if you don't honor your mentors, and if you uh don't connect to lineage, then you're missing like Almost the biggest part, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest part. And that's the actual relationship Mm -hmm. with actual people that have learned it from their teacher and their, and so on. We don't know how far back Mm -hmm. Uh, and we don't need to know because you see, you find a teacher who embodies the attributes that you are looking for, that you would like to be. And um, then you have an actual real life model for what it looks like. What does freedom look like? What does being healed look like? Mm-hmm. How does one act and, and treat others in that way? And we ha- are coming out of, you know, I hope we're coming out of this time, you know, where there's been a lot of abuse of power um, in those dynamics. And so a lot of trust has been lost for a lot of people. But I do believe in fact, I know there are good teachers out there and that if what you're looking for is is healing and a sense of belonging and connection, 
that finding a teacher that you trust um, and doing your best to take their advice. A good teacher understands when you don't, <laughs> when you just can't take their advice. <laughs> uh, and then there comes a certain point where I think that you, you should not take their advice, that that's a good sign, mm. but you still have their relationship. They still um, are there for you mm. in, in a real, a real way. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself a teacher? Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you're really studying the tradition, it's something that happens to you. <laughs> if you're really practicing, you can't not share what you've learned and what's sustained you. Mm -hmm. You can't not. It's a double negative. You have to. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious. I'm curious about circle for one, because that's, I know. I, let's go there first. Mm. I'm curious um, because you mentioned the self work and like heal yourself, be your own guru. Like, you know, your best answers. And I believed that. For a long time, I do believe my soul knows the best answers. I have come to realize how little I operate from just the soul, like how how easy it is to be deceived by myself, to be in my ego, to be moving from my unconscious, which you don't know when you're doing because it is unconscious. My favorite thing to say is, remember, we're studying self-deception here. I know. So to... I don't know if it's my favorite thing to say, but it's a relevant <laughs> you say it point. A lot. <laughs> you say it to me a lot. Yeah. And I, I think what I see a lot, and I can speak from like the coaching industry, and I think it's weird even saying coaching because my work is so influenced by my history with spirituality as well. So it's like this combination of skilled at coaching, mm -hmm. but like a history of spirituality. And So are you a teacher? I would say yes, and that's my that's where my other question is going to come from. Is I'll wait I'll wait on it. Um, but I think what I'm seeing in the coaching industry and spirituality and healing modalities is this disposable nature with teachers and with mentors. And it's like I got everything I needed from them, and now I'm going to go over here and get what I needed from them. Like people are a buffet to be used up. Mm -hmm and extracted from. And it's, it's tricky because we're in a capitalist society and like I charge money for my programs and like at different levels, you know, there's different depth of relationship that can be offered at mm -hmm. how much, you know, something charges if it's $5 Well, we're not probably going to become like really a really deep relationship because we're not going to be spending a lot of time together. But what I see is a, a very, people become very quick to be disposable in our current system and with Instagram. And I know you've had some resistances to social media for this reason. <laughs> and so I'm just curious, like the benefits of circle and the importance of circle and relationship and how we can, how we need each other to see ourselves really is what I'm saying. There you go. Did I, just, did I answer <laughs> your question? The, yeah. Where is the question? The question is what is your experience with circle and how you have learned to both trust yourself and know yourself deeply. Like you hold the answer, but know the answer also lies in the relationship inside the circle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the idea that like we heal ourselves is true. It's both. You're the one taking the action. You're the one making the effort. You're the one saying, I'm ready for my teacher. 
<laughs> and and making those choices. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not to say have a teacher to you know, give away your power or to give them the credit for your uh, healing or your achievement. It's to have someone seeing you. We're trying to learn how to see. That's really what um, spiritual work is about, how to see the the world and our relationship with it. And my experience with teachers was to find the teacher of the teachers that I could come in contact with and go live with them. <laughs> so this is... Uh, Just a mild sacrifice of your entire life. (laughs) Um, It didn't, you know, to sacrifice, to make sacred. So um, it depends, you know, it depends what you're after. And that's, you know, an an answer so many times. It depends. That's not right for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't learn the most valuable things from my teachers when they were presenting their, you know, course or their information. I learned from how they embodied love with me mm. at my worst, <laughs> how they, you know, looked at me, I'm going to cry, <laughs> how they looked at me with uh, compassion mm. in, in, in times of, you know, what felt like the worst of me presenting. So it's in those moments which can't be rushed and they can't be forced and, uh, they happen over the course of time. You know, relationships take time. You know, in a in a culture of swiping right and swiping left, it's there's low barriers to entry and low barriers to exit. So, like, I paid my money for this teacher, and they presented you know their information, and then there's the constant hunger for more. So, just by taking in the the head knowledge that someone can speak to you is not where the the potency is Mm. it's from everything that they're doing and everything the way that they're living so if um if you're in one of those environments and in yoga that's called a sangha it's a it's the circle of people and you're not necessarily at sometimes you know at you're sitting formally in circle and we're like doing the thing, you know, you're Post watching COVID. what pre, oh, pre, yeah, pre COVID you sit in circle and you watch what presents in you and everyone else sees what presents in you. This is also, uh, how I learned about the Enneagram and, you know, my personal Enneagram type is by sitting in this, learning about it in the context of a circle and then sitting in circle and, and receiving feedback mm-hmm. from others. Um, and that feedback is is necessary because remember we're studying self deception here. You're you're going to do anything possible to not see this. You're going against the system when you're when you're trying to stay awake, when you're trying to remain conscious. So being in a group of other people that want to do that too is hugely vital, mm-hmm. necessary, required. Mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> I wish all of you could see Jamie's face whenever she said required. I think, uh, can we just touch on the Enneagram real quick? I know we don't have to, we don't have to go totally into it. Yeah. But you said. I'll say what I say. You know, say what you say. I love that about you. Um, 
we have seen a rise, just like the work, which I love the work, and I love the Enneagram. It's been really supportive for me. I was mistyped for like five years because I didn't have anyone mirroring to me who really understood the Enneagram until I met your teachers, Holly and Matt Kreps, who laughed out loud at me when I told them my Enneagram type. They were uh, not gentle. <laughs> they, so loving, though. They annihilated my self-deception. Yeah, they're the brutal. They, they, they're destroyers in yeah. a way. I love that about them. I think a good yoga teacher or a good yoga practitioner is out to destroy what's not the truth. Yeah. Well, they did. And I had a personal crisis, not because, and I'll just say this, I didn't have a crisis because I was necessarily overly identified with type. It was that finding the correct relationship or the correct type for me exposed so many of my wounds because that's like how Enneagram is. And so it just felt so upsetting (laughs) to really get honest. When you find the one, you're not just like, oh yeah, I'm a seven. Yeah, that was me. I'm a seven. That's so great. No, it's like, yeah. Like, I don't know if you can if I can convey the sound of you know the depths of the life. wind it's getting like, knocked out of you. Oh, I've been doing that, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, to speak to what you said about the work versus the enneagram and both of them becoming popular, I, I would say they're not separate. That you can't mm-hmm. know your enneagram num- number type without knowing how to work. That the work comes first to observe. Mm-hmm. Or else, how would you know? You'll just pick the one that sounds sounds the most uh, like you would want to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that's not how you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the you know the the quizzes and the the just the oversimplification of things that are becoming watered down in a way that that hurts mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. So I want to. I might have to have Holly and Matt on or one or the other to do an entire Enneagram conversation because I think it could be really valuable. You definitely valuable. should, yeah. Just need to like bring the mic down. Jamie has a tiny house, for anyone who doesn't know this, that's on the property of her teachers. Whenever she said she goes and lives with her teachers, she actually built a tiny house and put it on their farm. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know them when I started, but yeah. whenever I met them for the first time and I saw it, I was like, oh my God, maybe that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen pictures of the tiny house. In nice in nice weather, we're there quite a bit. But if you want to see it, what, how can they find the tiny house video? I'll link it. But. Yeah, uh, you can Google yoga teacher tiny house. And the first one. It's the first one. Those are my. That's my long tail keyword. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to circle back to the question about a teacher and then probably wrap right. up. So we were talking about circle. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, teacher and circle. Uh, do you want me to ask the question? Do you have? One? Yeah, I have okay. a question. Well, the question about circle was specifically about seeing yourself and being mirrored and the importance of that. And I think you closed that. Was there anything else for you there? Oh, no. That it, it's a required. <laughs> yeah, it's required. So, um, which is why, honestly, I love facilitating group work. I, I really love one-on-one, but the depth you can go with a group whenever you are skilled to see what's happening in the group dynamic is so exciting to me because I think that it's almost like you get the, all of the benefit of like one-on-one if it's like yoga or whatever it would be, you get all the benefits of the one-on-one, but then you get to see yourself, how you show up in a group Mm -hmm. and everyone else gets to see how you show up in a group. Mm -hmm. And I 
as an, a, an observer and facilitator, it's really fun because you start reconciling dynamics that wouldn't have come up in one-on-one. Yeah, that's definitely true. Anyway, teaching. You asked me if I consider myself a teacher, and I do, and that's been really difficult for me to come into. And I'm wondering what you had to work through to self-identify as a teacher. Uh, Perpetual feelings of not knowing enough, of not having enough information, Hmm. um, not having enough historical context for the yoga tradition, not having enough... um, you know, time practicing myself. Uh, So I have reconciled that by being um, very, very intentional about what I teach and what I don't teach. And um, that when it comes to being a teacher, it's not about conveying head knowledge necessarily, like read this book if you want that information, but here's what I see from you. Mm -hmm. This, this is what you said, you know, about what you wanted two weeks ago. How do you feel about that? Um, that it's, an it's appointing someone constantly back to themselves and I can do that. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. (laughs) Your integrity is, I think one of my favorite things about you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You ready for some rapid fire? Mm. We didn't get to any of the questions about queerness or how we met or anything, anything juicy like that. But I think this feels really good. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to share? No, I I don't think so. You know, I I would love to talk more about, you know, how, how I go about, uh, teaching and how I work with people. Um, but they can find all of that information on my website. Well, before we go, I'll ask you a question about that. Let's do rapid fire. Uh, What is your spiritual background? Well, I study Tantra. um, And all my teachers have been teachers of Tantra. And I didn't grow up. I grew up in a very, uh, in the Bible Belt. uh, And Christianity was all around. And I remember going to lots of churches and trying to find something that resonated. But every time I heard something that instead, you know, felt like clashing symbols to my soul, um, (laughs) I just, um, you know, I never, I I didn't find that really until I found yoga. Mm -hmm. I didn't find something that felt resonant um, with my experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, you could say that my initial spirituality was uh on the basketball court mm-hmm. i would I'm say so of, i'm fond of saying i just love the hardwoods you mm-hmm. know <laughs> i uh both yoga and basketball are a lot of time on 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 the floor uh so that's really where my first circles were my first um you know the first experiences of my spirit came uh on the basketball court and my experiences of the flow state and what's possible really came from that environment. Hmm. And yeah. Beautiful. How do you know when you know? When I know my body's already moving, my body's already doing it. There's not any 
any mental process involved. It's already happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's not the case for everyone. There's everyone has different ways of knowing, but for me, I know because it's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is very true about you. (laughs) What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? Any one of them that I've held at any different time, I think really, um, coming to acknowledge how, how shape shifty I am, how changing I am. Um, that even whenever I was holding different identities, it, it sort of felt like something that I was doing to be socially appropriate. Um, so I, I feel like more so what's happened is, uh, I've been given permission to let go of what I never really felt all that identified with anyway, Mm -hmm. because, um, even, even queerness, even, um, those things, I, I fully understand the importance and, you know, if you gotta be some kind of way, queer is a great way to be, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel whole as far as my identity goes. It's not always what I lead with. And I went through a long period of time where I, I felt bad about that, but, um, I just want to be able to present as myself and I really don't like having to explain myself. Um, so I, I think anyone that's come up is sort of run through. So I, I don't, guess my answer is all of them. Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting about you is you seem to always be yourself. There's not a lot of fronting. And from all the stories I hear, it's kind of like you do what you want and you present as you want, uh, regardless of social (laughs) desire for you to change. And I think that's so great. Mm. But I'm aware of uh, being uncomfortable as I do so. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's and and you know there's consequences and mm-hmm. that's sort of part of what coming into yourself is about, it's dealing with the consequences of being who you are and how you are. Mm-hmm. Um so there's definitely times where I I've molded myself to to fit in. But it didn't last long. Mm-hmm. What are you most enjoying learning right now? Well, um, dog training. Mm-hmm. Dear <laughs> God. Are you enjoying learning that though? No. Uh, I'm learning, uh, about discipline. I'm enjoying learning about discipline. I think through mm-hmm. that process of, of another person and constantly my own relationship with discipline. And I would say that's true, even not in what I'm reading, but in my creative life and work life. All that is a Mm. constant process. What does grace mean to you? When I think of, I think of grace, I sort of picture myself in this womb, you know, I don't know if you'll edit it out, but I just took a long pause Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and where I went, it was into that place of feeling held and grace to me is all of the reminders of being held 
Mm. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What's your coffee shop order? Well, a coffee with cream and honey. I just love the land of milk and honey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very consistent. And the last question is, what do you want? This is an important question. <laughs> it's, it's a very important question. Um, it's the question. Yeah. When, uh, when my, you know, when my fairly aggressive teacher asked me that question, what do I want? What's my aim? Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Shout uh, out to Matthew. Yeah. The annihilator of perceptions. <laughs> I said, I, I, I want to be free of judgment. Like I want to really observe. I want to really be able to see. And, you know, as I'm working with it now, I'm, I'm just aware of my judgment <laughs> or be constantly becoming more and more aware of my judgment, but it's there. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's what I want. I love that. I love how true to your aim you are. Thank you. And also, I think it's hilarious when you judge. Well, it's, yeah, also being funny is judgy. Like, if, mm -hmm. if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. Please. We'll have, <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, come to our circle. <laughs> it's, uh, come to it? our healing house. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I think it's, you can't, uh, you you have to judge in a way, but you hope it can become something more like discernment mm -hmm. and that you're making use of the, the information available to you um, without being limited in what you're able to see because you've already mm. decided what it is. Mm. Yeah. I think I shared with you yesterday as we were talking about this very thing that whenever I refused to be judgmental and I was rejecting my own judgments, I really lacked discernment. Mm -hmm. And it was like through judgment that I learned to develop discernment and learned that it wasn't wrong that I had preferences, judgments, and then the discernment is born mm -hmm. of those well, things. You, well, you're going to have like physical responses at, like as, uh, as a person. And I don't know, in my experience, they don't really go away. Mm -hmm. But there's sort of a dropping down below them that that can happen. That doesn't mean that you're living from those judgments mm -hmm. and you know, you've, you need to be discerning about what you spend your time on. Cause you know, the whole thing is, is we don't have that much mm -hmm. and that's really what spirituality, you know, it also, it opens it up to that, you know, you have as many lives as you want in certain cases to, to get this right. And also this life ends and so being discerning about what you spend your time on and who you spend it with is, is an important thing because time is precious. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be stuck into, um, binary thinking doesn't allow for all of the grace to, to come down mm -hmm. and be here with us. Is there anything else that you think people might be interested in knowing about you? I was counting on the questions, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just thought maybe you might have something. No. I, no. Um, 
Great. Yeah, I'm available. You're available for the questions. <laughs> I'm available for, yeah, uh, for anyone to ask if they have a particular question, really. Do you feel I provoked you too much in the interview? No. No, I, in a good way. But, you know, you're a provocative interviewer. Mm. Provocateur. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, tell the people where they can find you. Obviously, all of your links are in the show notes and on the website. Mm-hmm. But what would you want? Pe- how do you, you want people to connect with you? Come practice with me. That is my favorite way to spend time with people in practice. Um, and you can find uh, free practices with me through my Instagram, Jamie Sweer, um, on a calendar there. And my website is jamiesweer.com. And it uh, says more about my teaching there and can learn about my programs there and learn the next steps. Fun. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me upstairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF and members only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on everything belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.